Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. And um, you guys, I came in, it'll be 17 years in August, but I came in a year before that. So I've been around for a little while and this girl was an old timer when I came in. (laughs) She'd already had a ton of uh, time in front of me. I don't even know. I know she's got over 20 years of um, sobriety in SLAA and multiple programs. And um, I remember this. I just, I love the sound of her voice. It calms me. Um, You know, we've got some really heavy hitters um, telling their story this year. And I am just really glad that we started with this girl. And um, I can't wait to hear for you guys to hear Ava's story. Hi everybody, I'm Ava and I'm a sex and love addict. And my sobriety date is December the 1st of 1990. Um, my first program was AA, actually it was Al-Anon. Um, I remember at that point I was dating some guy, uh, some guy, I was dating a guy. And we had, um, it was extreme addiction. It was the worst addiction that I've ever had to another person. And I kept thinking that, um, and I had already been married and divorced four times. And um, I knew that my picker was broke and I was having a lot of trouble with um, staying in relationships. I could get into a relationship, uh, but I couldn't stay in a relationship. And so I, I wanted to try to figure out why I kept picking out alcoholics and sex addicts and whatever other addictions they had. And since I got into recovery, I realized and I, I learned that the reason that I kept picking alcoholics is because my dad was an alcoholic and my mother also was an alcoholic. And so in that relationship, it was, it was kind of bizarre. I'll have to tell you this story. So I had a boyfriend in Boston. I had been living in Beaumont, and a friend of mine called me and said, hey, do you want to interview for a job here in Houston as uh, the director of the respiratory therapy department? And I said, sure. So I interviewed, got the job, and my first day was a Tuesday. Uh, My second day was uh, Wednesday, and I went to the uh, cafeteria with her and her staff. She was over the cath lab. And so I met this guy, uh, and he wasn't all, I wasn't impressed with him, and I wasn't thinking, oh, I need to uh, hang out with him. But um, the next day, there was a code in the cath lab, and this guy was, uh, by the time I got there, this guy was already doing compressions. And what I noticed, and, and this is my biggest trigger, 
large biceps is, I mean, that makes me just crazy. And so um, when I saw him doing compressions on this uh, patient and I was bagging the patient, I thought, oh my freaking God, I don't know if I can uh, stay in this room. I'm going to have a heart attack. And so um, then Friday night, all of us went out for drinks. I was still drinking at the time. And um, somehow or another, we ended up at my apartment. You know how that goes. And then, and so I had a boyfriend in Boston. He was married, had two kids. And we sort of hooked up on Friday night. And then he moved in to my house on Saturday. That's how crazy it was. Um, and so I had to figure out how to let the guy in Boston know that I couldn't go out with him anymore. And he was actually coming into town. And so that was kind of how things went when I was in my active addiction. There was never a, a gap between boyfriends. Um, if it did happen, it might have been as many as seven days, but rarely that long. And usually I had a couple of bench warmers, aces in the hole, uh, rain checks before um, I ended one relationship. At one point in my active addiction, I was dating a white guy and a black guy. And the white guy was 10 years older than me. The black guy was 10 years younger than me. And I could not make up my mind who I wanted to be with. And in the process of all that insanity, I got pregnant and I did not know who the father was. Later on, I, I kind of intuitively figured out who it was, but um, I got an abortion and I sort of broke up with one of them and I can't remember which one I broke up with first, but um, I, and I, I've never had any children. That was my only opportunity to actually have children. And so my consequences in my addiction were pretty darn scary. Um, I want to back up just a little bit and tell you about my first marriage. When I was in high school, my parents were both, um, both alcoholics. They were pretty crazy at that point. My father's alcoholism had progressed. My mother had switched from alcohol to opiates. And uh, my mother had, uh, would have really angry outbursts and she would rage and throw things all over the place. And she would berate my father in front of me. She would talk about other men when my father was present and she would pretend like it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke. So I had very poor role models uh, for parents when I was growing up. And so the summer that I graduated from high school, uh, before I actually graduated, I was so fed up with them and felt so crazy that I moved out and I moved in with a girlfriend of mine. And she and I uh, took off to, uh, from uh, Beaumont to Houston and we um, spent the night with them. And then the next day, uh, she chickened out. We were going to go drive to Colorado, and I wasn't even 18 yet. And she uh, got scared and decided to go home to her mom. And since I had been living with her and her mom was upset with me, I couldn't live with her anymore. So I had to tuck my tail between my legs and then go home to my parents. And um, 
at that point, my father found out that I'd spent the night with my boyfriend, and he was old school. He said, well, that's it. You're getting married. And I'm like, well, what do I say? You know, do I just tell him, you have to marry me now, or, or what? And it was, it was um, very distressing. And so married this guy. A month later, he left. And I went into an extremely suicidal depression. I really didn't want to be married, but I was not going to go home with those two crazy people that were in the uh, height of their, my mother's Al-Anonism and my father's alcoholism. So I uh, took a bunch of pills and uh, thank God my cousin was there with me and I was writing a suicide note and uh, she called um, to my mother's house and talked to my brother and um, she made me go with her back to my mother's house and uh, my brother thank god's a nurse and he uh, made me drink a bunch of salt water and that causes you to throw up so i threw up the pills and didn't die um, and then about four we went back together at some point and then four months later i climbed the i walked up the port arthur bridge you know, between Greek city and port arthur texas and I sat on the rail and I was about to jump off. And uh, two families stopped. And that bridge is extremely dangerous. And so as the two families sort of met on the top, they started talking to each other. And I didn't realize they were talking to each other. And they, uh, the two men came around on each side of me and they both grabbed me and, and pulled me off the rail. Uh, so, you know, when I say this disease is suicidal and homicidal, I mean it. So um, I am grateful that I'm still here and that I didn't commit suicide, but that was certainly not the last time that I thought about it. And I didn't even want to be married to this guy. I was wanting to date his best friend. And so it was just strange. My thinking about relationships is so off the rails uh, when I was in my active addiction. And I uh, sometimes look back at that and think my god it was it was worse than any soap opera i've ever seen so um my the police would not uh release me they took me to the police station the police would not release me uh to anyone but my mother and i think they probably knew that my husband at the time was a drug dealer i didn't know he was a drug dealer he was shooting heroin i didn't know he was shooting heroin and Compared to him, I was very prudish around alcohol and chemicals. So I had no idea what was going on with him. And when that uh, marriage ended, I thought the world was over. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, well, he's, I'm just going to pretend like he's dead. Not that he left me. I couldn't tolerate the thought of him leaving me. And it was so weird because I didn't really want to be married to him in the first place. Uh, but once I made that, that commitment, I was going to stick with it. So um, I, I, my parents uh, had moved to Baton Rouge, so I had to go and live with them. I didn't want to, but I had to go and live with them because um, but they released me to my parents, and uh, I wasn't supposed to uh, be away from them for a while. So I started my career uh, there in Baton Rouge, and became a respiratory therapist. And so fast forward to the time that I was dating the, the two different guys and got pregnant. 
when that, when both of those relationships ended at the same time, and I had made the decision that it wasn't a good idea for me to date either one of them, and so I um, pretty much let that go, but then I couldn't quite let go. I could never quite fully let go of one relationship before I had another one going on, and I had a nightmare um, within the first week or so after all that happened, and in this nightmare, I was talking to God, I'm sorry, God. And God said to me, you think this pain is bad? Wait till I abandon you. And I woke up from that dream thinking, holy Jesus Christ, this is the scariest thing that I've ever dreamed in my life. And from that moment on until I got into recovery, I was an atheist because I was like, okay, dude, you leave me? You're not going to get the chance to leave me. F you, I'm going to, I'm out of religion. And so I um, had no connection but with a higher power for about eight years. So that's forward back to the guy in the cath lab doing compressions on the patient on the table who had coded. Um, I moved him in and... Um, and I was divorced already four times, married and divorced four times. I moved him in, and then for the next year, we had the most tumultuous but intense addictive relationship I've ever had. And, and I remember thinking right before I moved from Beaumont to Houston, what is wrong with me that I can't stay in a relationship? And I had this thought. If I become so much in love, and really I was thinking addicted to someone, but if I'm just so much in love with a person, then maybe I'll stay in, in the relationship. And I actually remember thinking thinking that, and although I was an atheist, I put that, that wish out there. And um, so this was the most addictive relationship I've ever been in. And I was trying to end that relationship, um, but the night that he moved out, he was up all night long packing boxes and moving out. So the next morning when I woke up, I went to the kitchen and I watched him going back and forth with those boxes. And every time I saw him go by, I remember feeling a little bit more afraid. And at some point, I was trying to pretend like everything was okay and I was trying to make coffee so um, I was trying to make coffee and act like I was okay and I noticed that the floor was starting to get closer and closer to my face and at first I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on and then I realized I was fainting I was passing out I had such a sympathetic nervous system response that um, my blood pressure just dropped, dropped so bad that uh, I thought I was going to die. And so before my head actually hit the floor, I managed to um, move over to the coffee table and I put my head down between my knees and I was staring at my ass and I thought, you know, I don't think most people pass out when their boyfriend's moving out. And there must be something wrong with me. So I remember saying to myself, 
you know, I've got a little bit of money in the bank and I'm going to spend every penny of it and go see a psychiatrist or a therapist. And I had no idea where to even start. And so uh, I did make an appointment with a psychiatrist and that didn't go very well. But I started talking to the director of the alcohol and drug unit and her name was, um, oh God, I can't remember her name. Um, DeLongshaw, Carol DeLongshaw. She was the director of the alcohol and drug unit that was one floor above me in the hospital. <clears throat> and so I was telling her how crazy my life was and crappy relationships. And she said, well, why don't you try going to an Al-Anon meeting? Maybe that'll help you to understand why you keep picking out alcoholics. And so I did that a few times. And then I thought, you know, this is kind of helping, but I think I need something more. So I called her back and said, you know, what else would you suggest? And she said, well, maybe you might. She knew I was an alcoholic. I didn't, but she did. And um, she said, try going to an AA meeting. So my friend who had um, uh, called me and asked me if I wanted the job, she and I were drinking buddies. And so um, I don't know how it happened, but she and I both decided to go to the meeting together. And Carol said to us, um, now be sure you don't drink before you go to the AA meeting. And I'm like, ah, well, of course I'm not going to going to drink before I go to the AA meeting. Who does she think she is? But she knew if I had had half a chance, I would be drinking before the AA meeting. So I went in there and caught that damn disease that night. And then uh, I told my friend, I said, oh, crap, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I thought she was going to say, I am too. But she didn't. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm so sorry, Ava. <laughs> and then she said, but that's okay. You know, alcoholics are okay. So I was in AA for about a year. And then I started doing a group for adult children of alcoholics. And I, everybody in the group was talking about relationships and what trouble they were having with their relationships. And it was freaking me out. And they started talking about SLAA. And I thought, um, I don't want to go there. I probably need to go, but I don't want to go there. And so I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> and so at one point I really started freaking out because all of that old family of origin stuff started just coming up and vomiting out. And within probably two months, I was, I, I didn't sleep for 14 days, 14 days in a row. And I was starting to have dreams while I was awake. My family of origin trauma was really gross and, and disgusting. But I, uh, I didn't have a clue that that was what was going on with me. So um, I became non-functional. I could not work. And so um, one day I tried to go to work and I got in there and I couldn't get out of my office. And so... I went up the stairs to the alcohol and drug unit and uh, I had picked a woman up there that was an alcohol and drug counselor to be my sponsor. And she was so good, she really helped. And she said, you know, I think we're gonna have to get you in treatment, Ava. So they sent me to treatment in Arizona for my family of origin trauma. And when I came out of that, it was, I was like a completely different person. And I thought I was crazy. I thought I was losing my mind. And I wasn't sure if I was ever gonna be normal again. That's how bad I was. 
And uh, when I came out of there, I thought, God, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. And so when I came home, I picked a sponsor around that program. One night she was going to an SLAA meeting. And so um, when she said that, I said, well, would you mind if, if I go with you? And I can't even believe I asked that because I really didn't want to have this disease. So uh, after dinner, we went to the meeting and I thought I was going to get to sit next to her, but she was, they had like a table at the front back then and it was a co-ed meeting for Christ's sake. That was horrible. (laughs) And so she was up at the front as the leader and somebody else was cheering. And so when I realized that, I started freaking out and I started feeling really nauseated and I wanted to throw up and my stomach was acting like it was going to just explode. And I was so terrified. I really thought I was gonna have diarrhea sitting there in my chair or run out of the room screaming. And so I have no idea what anybody said in that meeting, but what I told myself is, okay, I'm never gonna go on a date. I'm never gonna talk to a man. I'm never gonna have sex. I'm never gonna be in a relationship because I don't wanna come back to this damn meeting. And so, um that was on a Wednesday night two nights later on a Friday night I went to an AA dance a sober dance and there was this really good looking guy that I had seen a few times before and I thought oh this is great so I brought him home and I didn't remember my commitment on Wednesday night until Sunday morning because he stayed the whole weekend with me um and I don't know how we managed to not have sex, but we didn't. So on Sunday morning, I woke up and I realized I am more powerless over this stuff. I am over alcohol and pills. And it, was, it wasn't fun getting sober from alcohol and pills. But when I started my withdrawal that weekend, I went to that 4.30 meeting on Sunday and that was my home group for like 20 years. Um, I knew that I had a horrible, horrible problem with this disease and that if I didn't get some help, if I didn't try to get sober from this, that my life was going to be over. And I knew that I would probably start drinking again because I could not tolerate the pain. So um, I took this guy home and I remember looking at him in the rearview mirror and he was sitting on his car, on the back of his car that didn't run, it didn't have a windshield, and he lived at, at his ex-girlfriend's house on a mattress in the washroom. I mean, that's how far down I got to. And so he was sitting on his truck and he had his hands in his face and he was rocking and crying because I didn't know what to say. I just knew I couldn't talk to him because if I did, I'd talk myself out of going to that meeting. And so I dumped him off there and I went to the 4.30 meeting and, um, I've been sober since that day. I, I have no idea how I did that, except that I just went to a hell of a lot of meetings. My first year of sobriety in AA, I went to 364 meetings in 365 days. My second year, um, I was sober a year and a half in there before I got uh, sober in SLAA. And so I was doing AA, SLAA, and ACA, and some Al-Anon. So I went to about five or 600 meetings that second uh, second year. And I think that's probably the reason that I was able to stay sober. And because I understood addiction, 
I was able to transfer the knowledge that I got in AA to this OAA and to be able to start to hear what it was that people were talking about in the meetings and, and how they knew they were powerless over their disease. And so uh, I asked my sponsor, who was my sponsor in, in the other program, if she would help me start working the steps in SLIA, and she did. And so I got a, a, a first step. There was a, a first step that was floating around back then, and I thought it was the SLIA-approved first step, but it actually isn't. And so um, I picked up that first step and went home and just wrote the whole thing out. It was like four or five pages. And I met with my sponsor the following weekend, and I read my first step to her. And I was... Um, I started to feel at least a little bit of relief, but my withdrawal was incredibly painful. The, the thing that I remember the most is that my whole body hurt and even the hair on my toes was very sensitive. It was uh, the strangest thing. So I um, decided that it was going to be important for me to follow all the rules and you know, try my best to stay out of relationships for a year. So um, I did a lot, and I think I was three months sober when I started going to the inner group. And I think that that is the reason also because I started doing service work and I was afraid they were gonna kick me out when I went to the inner group. Uh, and I think that you had to have, I don't know, X number of, of sobriety, but I only had three months sober when I went to inner group and um, there were, it was all men, which was really scary for me, but none of them uh, looked attractive to me, thank God. And they were a lot older. Um, I was 36, 37. I was 37 when I got sober in, in this uh, addiction. And so um, I just kept going back and, and I was at, and I asked them, can I, can I keep coming here? Um, and they said, well, yeah, of course you can keep coming because I was afraid they wouldn't let me even be in the meeting because I only had three months sober. And I don't remember a whole lot about that first year of my service work, but the, the uh, next year it was probably, um, i trying to think, I think it was about nine, ten months sober. Um, I got through all 12 steps and I started uh, sponsoring women in the program. And as I was doing that, and I, it was interesting because in AA, nobody had asked me to sponsor them. And I thought, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, it was just so crazy. I don't think anybody wanted me to sponsor them. <laughs> so, um, and as most of you probably know, it's very difficult to get a sponsor in this program. There are just not as many sponsors as there are in AA. So um, I started, um, sponsoring women and I would um, try to go to lunch or dinner or breakfast or something before or after the meeting with as many women as possible. So I um, spent most of my time in that first year with other women, either calling them or them calling me or us going for walks or uh, going to dinner or, you know, going to the movies or whatever. But all I did was um, SLAA, AA, and ACA that first year that I was in SLAA. 
And so I really didn't have time to do anything else, which was a big plus. <clears throat> and uh, a year into program, I think it was, it was the day after Thanksgiving. So my sobriety date is uh, December the 1st. And so it was right before Thanksgiving, I was right at a year, uh, almost a year sober within a few days. And I ran into um, a couple of friends of mine at a meeting and they said, after this meeting, an AA meeting, after this meeting, we're gonna go to um, a meeting at the Spring Branch Club. And because there's a guy that's coming back in, he was out for a while using and now he's coming back in. And uh, what's so interesting is I was going there to support him. He died a few years later. He jumped out of a building uh, in Las Vegas one day and killed himself. Um, and I thought many times that could have been me. Um, so while I'm sitting there waiting for my friends to come in, um, there's a guy sitting across the table and the uh, people around me introduced me to him and he said his name was Dennis. And, um, he looked kind of scruffy, and I thought, no, nah, he's not somebody I'd really want to go out with. And then later, a mutual friend of ours came in and said, hey, I've been trying to get you two together because I know you both like to dance. And um, so I talked to him for just a minute, and I still wasn't that impressed. But after the meeting, we decided to exchange information about the dances that we were planning to go to in the next uh, few weeks. And it was holiday, so I was standing next to him, and his arm brushed mine. And I thought, oh, my God, what just happened to me? It was like this huge thrill came across my body. And I, I was like, you know, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but uh, I think that I might want to go out with him. And so we decided to meet we didn't do any single, any dates by ourselves, especially for the first year. I mean, sorry, not the first year, for the first month. We were, um, we had people chaperoning us in the car with us because I knew that I, after I uh, had that spark with him, I thought, I, I can't not jump his bones in a car if it's just he and I by ourselves. And so we had. And even one night, we even had a double date with his mom and dad, and they were just the nicest people. Um, and I remember a friend of mine saying we went to the Nutcracker that year, Amy, you need to leave that boy alone because I was holding it onto his arm, and I thought, you know, I, I probably should step away from this and, and try to act more sane around this. <clears throat> and at one point, I realized I was probably going to date him for a while, and I said, you know what? I need to set some ground rules for myself. And so I said, let's meet at Champs, a, a place to eat. And so uh, he and I met at Champs, and I really had to meet him at places so I wasn't in the car with him because it was just too scary for me to try to resist um, wanting to have sex with him. So... <clears throat> We went to Champs and I had written out my dating plan and so I shared the dating plan with him and I had talked to my sponsor about it before and I told her what I was going to do and she said, I think that's really a good idea. Let me know how it goes. So I started at the top and went down the, the uh, list of rules 
and it was things like you can't come to my house until you know this date you can't spend the night until this day and we're only going to have one date a week and we're not going to talk to each other between uh from the uh, you know the last date we have on the weekend to the next date that we have and so we set some pretty stringent rules um and thank god we did because um for whatever reason um i was really amazed with who he was and, and what was really interesting is i wasn't as attracted to him in that first meeting that we went to together the aa meeting until i heard him share and he shared from the heart he shared from the heart and he i could tell he had a very close relationship with the higher power and that's what i wanted And so, uh, since that time, we've been together, and I can't tell you how many men I've had sex with, but it's probably been at least 100, uh, and it may be more than that. I, I counted one time when I was 25, um, 100 different guys that I had been in relationship with. Some of them were an hour long, some of them were a week long, and some of them, you know, I actually got married to. And not too long ago, I was trying to remember how many times I've been engaged. So obviously at least four times, but in addition to those four times being engaged, there were another 10 times that I was engaged and I didn't actually get married. Um, my thinking about relationships was so screwed up and my family of origin really uh, did a number on uh, my thinking about how, how do you do relationships? And so um, about a year after that, uh, we moved in together. And then a year and a half after that, we got married. And in the 20 some odd years that he and I have been together, I've only had sex with one guy. <laughs> That was not possible for me before I got sober in this um, in this program. And I'm so grateful for this program. Um, and our life together has been freaking amazing. I did not think that I could stay in a relationship long-term. My longest relationship before I met Dennis was probably 18, to 20 months long. That was the longest relationship I'd ever had. And I was really afraid that I was going to die uh, alone, old and alone. Um, and so this program has provided a new way of seeing the world, a new life. Um, and both my AA program and SLAA have really helped me to have uh, a relationship with a higher power. When I picked out my sponsor uh, the weekend after I uh, went to my first AA meeting, she asked me to think, you know, to tell me what I thought about God, to tell her what I thought about God. And I said, uh, I don't know him and I don't really think I want to know him. And she said, Ava, here's the next step. So what I want you to do is get on your knees in the morning and say, please. And then 
get on your knees at night and say thank you. And I was pissed off that she told me that, but I did it. And some of the most powerful experiences that I can't explain with the laws of physics that we know. I have a relationship with a higher power today that is far beyond anything that I ever thought I could have or even dreamed of. And um, I put my higher power above me and above my husband, which was very difficult for me to do in the beginning. The last thing that I surrendered um, early on, probably right around the time that I got sober in this program, was the relationship with the guy I was so addicted to. And I remember thinking, I don't think I can do this. I really don't. So I got on my knees and I asked God, just give me the willingness to be willing to willing to let go of this relationship. Because there was a part of me that knew it was very toxic and that relationship was going to be the one that killed me if I didn't let that relationship go. And I'm so grateful that I got to a place where I was willing to do that. Um, so last, uh, last month in December, I celebrated 30 years sober in this program. I can't believe it. I'm so grateful that I found this program and I'm grateful that you ladies keep coming and keep coming back and you know there's always going to be a program here and if you want to stay sober start doing service work immediately do those steps get a sponsor and even if it's just that you put chairs out for a meeting or if you host a meeting or you chair a meeting start doing service work because it works when you do service that keeps you sober. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate being here tonight. Thank you for listening to the Sober Sisters Talk podcast. To find our podcast, we're at www.sobersisterstalk.com. We're also on Apple iTunes and on Facebook. See you next week.